Then I just pray that you show me. I'm just going to pick up the Bible, grab the Bible in front of me. I said, I'm just going to flip to a random page. I close my eyes, flip to a random page. I put my finger down, open it up, and it says, uh, it First Corinthians 1 1 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. The very first verse, the random verse that I looked at. Well, my name's not Paul, but my name is Bracken. So I put that, my change the name out. I said, Bracken, Paul is being an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I said, okay. I know that's not, that's quite the coincidence that that was a coincidence, but I know it's not. Only God could do that. So I didn't know what that looked like for me. At the time, I said, oh, ministry is being a pastor. And I, I dreaded that idea. I always said from a young age, I do not want to be a pastor. Like, I want, I'll do stuff in church, but I do not want to pastor a church. That is, like, the farthest thing that I want to do. Too much stress. Too much work. I don't want to do that. But at that time, at a young age, I was thinking ministry. If God's calling me ministry, He's calling me pastor. So I, that's something that I fought with and I wrestled with for a long time, for a couple of years. Um, but it was just a couple of years later. All of a sudden, God has given us opportunities to lead worship, um, not just on PEI, but over in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is this is what God's calling me to. This is the ministry God's calling me to is to lead worship. Because um, I've seen God do awesome things through worship. I've got to be part of a lot of crazy things. And it's like, hey, this is, this is my calling, to lead worship. This is something that I love, that I enjoy doing, so this must be my calling. Well, 2015 comes, and I'm on a missions trip to New York City. I'm sitting there in bed, and I get that same feeling that I got back there in that pew. And all of a sudden, I feel God saying, I'm calling you to work with you. Okay, I kind of like that. That's a good idea. Okay, I, I could see myself doing that. Um, and so again, this is probably another couple of years of just praying. Now more specifically, oh God, is this you? Like, show me what this calling is. You only work with youth. I pray that you give me the opportunity. Show me, like, build me up to do it, because I obviously can't do it alone. And he's given me that opportunity. I got to go to Moncton and work um, with these people over there. I got to do youth stuff here. Um, then, a couple of years ago, it felt more specifically, okay, youth, more pastoral role. I'm like, okay. At this point, I'm kind of just like, whatever you call me to, God, it's all good with me. My dreams are gone, so I'm all yours, God. Um, and so, God just continually over, basically since 2011-ish, been working in me and developing my call. What started as called the ministry, came called to youth, called to be a youth pastor, and now, what was it? Maybe a year, two years ago, I think two years ago, because it was before COVID, um, I felt God placing on my heart to, I don't know if it's to start a church or to build a church, I don't know, but I've been feeling that call strongly, and that's another thing that I've been praying in the last couple of years, just God, whenever that happens, I'm ready, um, I'm here. Why do I share all this? I share this because I want you to know that God calls people to do things. God is a God that still speaks to people, whether it be through a voice in your head, through a feeling in the back of you, or more specifically through the Word of God. God calls each and every one of us to something. Now, He might not call each and every one of us to, um, to lead worship or to become a pastor or to work with youth, but God still places a call in each and every one of our lives, and it's our responsibility as Christians to pay attention to that and to pursue that call. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is God's call in each and every one of our lives. So, 
Today we're going to be looking at Matthew 4. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or your iPad or whatever you got with you, we encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 18. It's not a long one today. Um, but we're going to be looking at Jesus and how he called his first disciples as they were fishing. Now we all probably know this story. If you've grown up in church, you've attended church any amount of time, you know the story of Jesus calling the first disciples. It's a pretty familiar story. Um, but we're going to focus on, on something that Jesus says as he was calling them. Now today, like I said earlier, my hope and prayer is that this morning that you not only learn something, but that you um, have a deeper knowledge and understanding of, of um, our relationship with God and his calling on our lives. I better turn there too. So... Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we're going to go down to 22. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, and they were fishing. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. In other words, more commonly known, I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets, and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So, we're going to focus on the specific thing that Jesus says. Come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So we're going to break that into two parts. It's our come, follow me. So, Jesus approaches these men with an invitation to become his disciples. Now, I don't know about you or how you would react if someone came up to you and said, Hey, look, come follow me. Drop everything you're doing. Just come follow me. That, if that happened today, that would be kind of something really strange. And most of us would be like, mm, no. And maybe go home and creep them on Facebook or something to see who this person was. <laughs> But we see that for these guys, their response was immediate. They immediately dropped everything and they followed him. And in every single one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the exact same thing. That they drop everything to follow this Jesus guy. They don't say, look Jesus, okay, uh, I need to think about it for a bit. Let me go home and see if this will work for me financially because I don't have a lot of money. And if I'm going with you, like, is there a pay with this? Am I just volunteering my time? You know, my mom and dad were kind of hoping that I was going to take over the business, so I'll have to go check and make sure it's okay with them if I take off. Or one that we use as Christians a lot, I need to go pray about this for a while, right? No, they don't say any of that. They just leave. Now, we don't know. Maybe they did, you know, say to their parents, look, I'm leaving for a while. See you later right quick. They may took care of a couple quick things. But there was no, no, oh, let me think about it. It was just, okay, I'm going. Here we go. Let's get this show on the road. There was no discussion. There was no ifs, no whats, no buts or whys. They simply just went. Now, what would move them to just get up and go like that? What makes Jesus so special that they would be like, oh, some random shame wants me to go with them? Sounds good. Let's go. Well, first of all, it's because Jesus had authority. His teachings were different than anybody else's. We talked about this um, when 
two times ago when I preached, talked about Zacchaeus and, and how our names have a meeting, and I talked a bit about how Jesus was a guy who taught with authority. Now, for those of you who either weren't there, or don't remember, or fell asleep, um, we're going to quickly recap on what that looks like or what that means. So back in the day, there were two different types of rabbis. There were the Torah rabbis who taught the Torah, which was um, the laws of Moses and the prophets and the writings, which is basically the first five books of the Old Testament. The guys that taught the Torah, they were limited, you'd say, to just the Torah. That was all that they could teach. They just taught the first five books of the Old Testament. And they just accepted um, whatever was felt true in the Jewish community at the time. Now the other kind of rabbi was, it's a Hebrew word, I avoided saying it last time, I'm going to try it today, Shemikah. I'm not going to say it again for the rest of the thing. But Shemikah means, I did it again, oh, means authority, or someone who taught with authority. So these guys were a whole different kind of rabbi than the ones who taught the Torah. These guys were, were so brilliant, and they were seen as having authority, or that Hebrew word that I'm not going to say again. These guys, um, these authoritative uh, rabbis, they were allowed to bring new teachings as long as it did not contradict the teachings of the Old Testament. Now, one of the requirements of being one of these rabbis that taught with authority was that they had to have the whole Old Testament memorized by heart. These guys knew, um, they knew the text, they knew the Old Testament, and only about a dozen or so of them were around every hundred-ish years. So it was a pretty exclusive uh, group of people. Now, depending on the translation, it might be a little bit different, but there's approximately 23,145 verses in the Old Testament alone. Now, if you read 30 words a day, not just read them, memorized 30 words in the Old Testament a day, every day, it would take you approximately 63 years to memorize the whole Old Testament. And that's just not learning and memorizing the new 30 words, that's learning the new ones, memorizing them, and remembering the 30 from the day before, and the day before, and the day before, for 63 years. That's a lot of work and a lot of memorization. See, what set these rabbis apart and what made them so great wasn't their ability to memorize and that they had the whole Old Testament memorized. It was the authority that they had that set them apart. These rabbis were like the celebrities of their day. And when one of these guys came to town, they were the kind of person that everybody wanted to go see, that everybody wanted to go meet and talk to and just be around. It's kind of like if um, Toby Mac, everybody know who's Toby Mac in here? Toby Mac? Okay, a couple people. Or maybe for some of you it would be the Gaithers, the Gaithers came, something like that. We'll say Billy Graham. Billy Graham came to Elmsdale. I don't know about you, but I would want to go and meet him. I would want to be around him. I would want to hear his story from him directly and get to know him. I would ask him questions and wonder how, in light of his fame, how he remains humble and how he remains true to who he is. And I don't know about you, but it would be kind of cool for someone like that to kind of acknowledge me as well. Be like, hey, Bracken, how's it going? I don't know, that would be kind of cool. Anyway, so these rabbis, the top of authority, these guys had disciples. The Torah rabbis, they did not have disciples, they had students. John the Baptist had disciples, so he would be a rabbi that taught with authority. 
Now, what kind of teacher would Jesus be? He would be one that taught with authority. The Bible says all over that Jesus taught with authority, not like the other teachers of the law. There was something extra special about Jesus. And that's why he would say things like, You've heard this, but I tell you this. And we know in the scripture that Jesus does not contradict the earlier teachings. What he did is he came to either clarify it or to make it even tougher by setting a new standard. Matthew 5, 21 22 says that you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Reka, which means worthless or empty, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So we see Jesus is doing it there. He says, look, you heard long ago that anybody who... Uh, who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you that even if you think about murdering, you are doing the same thing. Matthew 5, 27, 28. Says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, you see him um, kind of building off of the, um, the old text. But you see, in spite of that, or because of that, people had a reaction that we find at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, 28-29, says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Now, the teachers of the law were the Torah teachers. But Jesus, he brought new teachings. He brought it with authority. Jesus was a shmika rabbi. But these guys that Jesus called, he didn't just, they didn't leave their lives and their, their livelihoods behind just to hang out with the newest, coolest, hippest rabbi in the block. They left because not only did Jesus have authority, they followed him because Jesus was the living word of God. They left because God had opened their hearts to what Jesus said and also to who he was. These early disciples were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And I don't know about you, but I know for me and for these guys, they wanted to be in his company. They seen Jesus and they wanted to be around him. The Bible says in John 1, uh, 14, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So why did he do that? Why did he come to earth? He came so that he could speak with the authority that comes from not just knowing the Word of God, but because he was the Word of God. Even the most brilliant of the, um, the authority, authoritative rabbis couldn't hold a candle to Jesus and the authority in which he taught the Word of God to the people. The men that he called, or that he called immediately followed him because they knew that something deep down inside them that it was the rabbi who was not like the others. And that he would hold an eternal importance in their lives. Now part two. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus doesn't say, follow me. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Why does he say that? Jesus called them because he wants to change them. 
He helped the disciples become people who saw others from an eternal perspective. Their lives were transformed. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, come, follow me, and I will transform you. Follow me, and I will make you into something that you weren't before. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, and for these guys, that is good news. Jesus says, look, you're used to fishing. You're used to turning to the things of the world to find pleasures and, and satisfaction. You're used to causing yourself harm because you hope to take your mind off of pains in your life. But Jesus says, come and follow me. Because I want to change you. I want to transform you and restore you. I want to make you new. I want to make you whole. And through that, he'll get you ready to impact the lives of people around you who are going through similar situations. Jesus didn't just call his disciples to me and say, Oh, look at me, i got a group of people that follow me. These are my followers. Like, oh, I'm so cool. He didn't do that. The purpose was that he could work in their lives and that they could work through for him later because of the experience that they had with him. See, Jesus knew them, he knows you, before you were even born. And he had a plan for them, and a purpose for them, and a plan for you, and a purpose for you. And he wants to have a relationship with these guys, and he wants to have a relationship with you. You know, that's what following Jesus is really all about. It's allowing him to change you from the inside out so that we can be used by him to make a difference. So this morning, are you allowing Jesus to transform you? Jesus invites us to follow him so that he can change us into something that we weren't before, so that he can make us Christ-like. He wants to make you into someone who lives a life with the things of God as a priority. Living in the peace and the holiness and the grace that he offers to everyone who calls upon his name. Someone who sees others as a needy for God. He wants to make us fishers of men. Now think about it for a minute. None of these guys that Jesus called were, were professional, I don't know, what do you want to say? professional Christians or pastors or some of them might not even knew Christ. You think of Paul who was a Pharisee and then we find out later just how out of touch he was with Scripture. He learned something new. But after three years with Jesus, they became men who would turn the world upside down and eventually would die for Jesus. To look at them before Jesus called them, you may never have guessed what Jesus had in mind for them. But being with Jesus transformed them. So this morning, does that sound like anybody that you know? Maybe a friend or a family member? Maybe it's you this morning. Someone that seems like they're far too gone. That they will never come to know Christ. And they're just a hopeless cause. But the truth is this morning that Jesus says that they are a beautiful creation. That they are never too far gone. That you are never too far gone. God is always right there reaching them. All we have to do is accept Him. And allow him to transform us and to make us new. You still got your Bibles out. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4 right quick. Acts chapter 4. Right quick. Peter and John, um, in this passage, they're just had the audacity to heal a crippled beggar, and now they're in a bunch of trouble. 
Not because they killed the beggar, but because of what they said when they did it, which we'll read in just a second. But basically, they say, Mister, look, we don't have any money to give you, but we do have something else. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That doesn't sound too bad. That doesn't seem like something you'd get in trouble for or arrested for. But the religious leaders at that time had a different idea because, you know, they thought that they just got rid of Jesus. And now these two random guys walk around healing people in his name. And so they arrest them. And in Acts 4, 13, verse 13, says that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, just ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, when people say that about you this morning, when they look at you, when they see how you live your life in uh, your workplace, in school, and just your, your basketball, whatever it is, people look at you and see that you have been with Jesus. And to me, that, this is what separates the disciples from the hypocrites. See, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, they decided to let the relationship with Jesus impact every area of their life. And the Holy Spirit gives them the courage to, to live and to speak as someone who is a healthy, authentic follower of Jesus. Like these first disciples, we follow Jesus so that He can transform us into His image. And then we allow Him to work through us so that we can impact others so that they can have the same experience. Now this morning, I hope that it's your desire to follow. And if it's not, I hope it is by the end of this service that, that Christ's, desire, Christ's desire for you, sorry, I hope that our desire as Christians is for others to know Him and to experience the same experience that we have. See, because the world is full of people who call themselves Christians, but who don't really follow Christ. But Jesus says, Follow me, stick with me, lean on me, and let me transform you into something who reflects me and my priorities, the priorities of my kingdom. Let me make you fishers of men. This morning I have two invitations for you. First one is to move from just being a believer to being a disciple. Move from being someone who is just just has their fire insurance to being someone whose life is transformed by Jesus into someone who reflects Christ's likeness and kingdom priorities. Now, this doesn't happen automatically. It's not just something that just happens. You need to be intentional in inviting Christ to have you, recognizing Him as the one who has authority in your life. The Bible says that Christ deserves our all, so why not let Him he gave us His all. You want security? We live as a disciple of Christ, allowing Him to constantly remind you of His presence and His care. If you want significance, allowing Christ to have control allows you to be used by God in significant ways. Now what's more important, significance in gaining possessions here on earth, or significance in making a difference for the kingdom of God? Now the second invitation is is a little more basic, and it's for those who have never placed their faith in Christ before. Now maybe this morning you're sitting here, or you're watching online, and you're thinking, what in the world is going on? What is this guy talking about? What did I get myself into? 
Maybe you got up this morning and, and you just felt like you needed to go to church. You have no idea why. Or you've seen this online and you said, hmm, I'm going to click on that. Maybe this morning you're feeling that little tug in your heart that says, come and follow me. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to take that first step of following Jesus, of putting your faith in Jesus. See, being a disciple of Jesus starts with establishing a relationship with Him. Now, what does it mean to have a relationship with Him? It basically means that you acknowledge Jesus as your Savior and putting your trust in Him and what He did for you on the cross for your sins. See, the Bible says that without Christ, we face an eternity in hell, paying for our sins. But Jesus says, you know what, how about this? Instead of you dying for your sins, I'll die for your sins for you. And so that's what he did. He came to earth and died for our sins. He paid for our sins so that we don't have to. All we need to do is accept this gift of eternal life that he bought with his own blood. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All I need to do is just accept the gift. If someone gives you a birthday or a Christmas present, they say, here, this is for you, unless you actually take it. If they say, here, this is for you, and then they turn around and walk away, that gift is not actually yours. You have to take that gift. So this morning, if that's you, I want to encourage you to take that step, to reach out and take that gift. We're going to pray in just a moment. But as the worship team comes, I want to give us a quick challenge. Everybody loves a nice challenge, right? Yeah. The challenge this morning is to get a little dusty. Now here's what I mean. We talk about those, those, those shmika or authority um, teaching rabbis earlier. And how people would just gather around and they would flock towards them to see these guys because they were so cool and they had and they had the authority and oh we just wanted to be so close to these guys. And one of the biggest privileges that someone could have would be so close to these rabbis that the dust that they kicked up when they were walking would literally fall on you. That you would be covered in the dust of these rabbis as they were walking. Now, whatever the rabbi walked on or walked in would sometimes end up on the robes, and that's how you knew that those people were the closest followers. A dusty follower, a dusty person, was recognized as a good disciple of that rabbi. Now, when I was reading that online, while I was preparing for this message, I don't know about you, but that struck me different. Because I began to wonder, does the dust of Jesus cover me? Do I walk so closely with God that His dust covers me? And I had to confess that there's a lot of times where I'm the guy who's following, but I'm at the back. I can, I can see Jesus' head maybe every now and then. I'm, I'm there enough that, that I'm a part of the group, but not close enough to get covered in the dust that He kicks up. So my challenge for you this morning is to get dusty. We hear the, the saying all the time, the blood of Jesus covers me. And which is true. The blood that Jesus said, shed on the cross covers your sins. But this morning, I want to ask if the dust of Jesus covers the way that you live your life. I want to encourage you to make the decision this morning. Now that you would walk so closely with God that His dust covers you. 
this morning, you need to ask yourself, are you the one who's at the back of the crowd, who's technically there, who's technically a Christian, you're technically following Christ, but you can't really see Him, let alone see the dust or feel the dust that He's kicking up? Or are you the one who's striving and pushing to be right at the front, up close and personal? Are you the one who, who strives to be covered in the dust so that when you walk out on the street, people see you and they see Christ? I don't know about you, but something that's encouraging to me is the fact that Jesus is never done transforming our lives. He's never done working on our hearts. I've been a Christian for 19, almost, I guess it'll be 20 years this next year. And God is still working in my life. God is still transforming my life. And so that's my encouragement for you this morning, is that God is not done with you. But you need to be trying your hardest to get as close to Him as possible every single day. Now this morning, I'm not going to, to ask you to come to the altar, because the altars are always open. I'm not going to say, invite you to stand or tell you to sit. That's up to you. I'm not going to tell you to sing or not to sing. All I'm going to say is that this morning, you need to listen to God. You need to listen to the call that God is placing in your heart and on your life. You need to respond how you feel God is leading you to respond. Maybe you do need to come to the altar. Maybe you do need to stand. Maybe you need to get alone for a couple minutes. Maybe you need to fall on your face and surrender to Him. not to leave this place this morning without having an encounter with God. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing this song. Heavenly Father, this morning you are calling us. You are calling us out of our pain and our suffering and our circumstances, our situations. And God, you are calling us out of our comfort zones. You are calling us out of our own heart's desires. God, you are calling us to you. You are calling us to be made whole, to be made new, to be restored and transformed into people who are so close to you that your dust covers us. Lord, I thank you for your blood. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for your gift that you offer to us. Lord, I want to pray for those this morning who might not have a relationship with you, that might not know you, that are thinking to themselves, I don't know what he's talking about, but I feel that call in my life this morning. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to pray along with me in just a moment. But just know there's no fancy words, no special phrases. It's just a heart that realizes that it needs a Savior. And Lord, for those of us who have known you for a long time, who are following you. Lord, I pray, God, that in these moments that we would pray alongside those who don't know you. That God, we would be encouraging those who come to know you for the first time. God, we would be praying for our church. We would be praying for our people. So, Father, this morning, for those of us 
for those that don't know you, God. Lord, we pray, Father, we come to you. Lord, we recognize that we need you in our lives. This morning, God, we feel your call. We hear your call and say, saying, come and follow me. Lord, we accept that call. We accept that gift that you offer us. The gift of eternal life. The gift of your freedom and transformation from the old to the new. Lord, I'm a sinner and I can't do this alone. We need you, God. We need you to come into our lives. Lord, we want to 